Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political icicle, Kobe Monaka, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts and political icebergs in Diane and Tatton. How are you guys doing this week? Wow, really good. I thought we were going to go ice lollies, uh, seasonal, but icebergs, equally brilliant. Seeing off ships, that's what we do. <laughs> ships, Taking ships, ships pottering around the place. Come and come and have some. <laughs> I was going for there's more depth to oh, you guys and the simplicity. I, I you hope know. there is. <laughs> Lots more than you see on the page. <laughs> that really isn't for me. This is it. It's all very <laughs> all surface. surface. Yeah. But have you seen some icicles? I, I worked in France for a bit in a ski resort and some icicles are huge. So they, it couldn't be icicle to ice lolly because unless you're going for a record breaking thing, there's no like massive ice lollies. But some icicles are properly scary. I had to like chip away at some just make sure people didn't die if they walked underneath them you're a lifesaver yeah so yeah. that's that's amazing to hear i think uh we should just pay tribute to the work kobe did when he was uh working in the alps uh the ski resorts uh it's not all kind of apres ski it's also hard life-saving they did so well done it's, kobe it is. It is. uh the simple politics page tribute to you thank you very much guys let's take a second to uh, consider my time when I was snowballing every day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's head on to the first part of this podcast. That is the top post of the week. It's been busy. I've been following a lot of the posts this week, so I might have some comments on these things. But let's start with the third most popular post, Tatten. The third most popular post was uh, about junior doctors going on strike. We've spoken about strikes endlessly on this podcast. Junior doctors have turned down the pay deal and they're going on strike and uh, they're still asking for 35% pay rise. They know it. We know it. You know it. They're not going to get 35%. And the government has said, we're not even going to talk to you if you're threatening more strikes. We're not even going to speak to you till like all the strike stuff's gone. So they're going on strike and it's a total stalemate. We just have to see what happens next, really. I mean, there's no talks happening. They're going on strike. Couple of days. That's what's going on. Is there a place where, obviously, we know the general election is going to be some point in the next year to 18 months. And if the government feels that they can conclude the strike action or all the strike action closer to the election, so that's something they can ride a wave on into that and say, look, we did it, guys. We got everyone together. We saved the NHS and therefore you should vote for us and keep us in government for another, you know, four years ish no no that's not a thing because the because they are saying that these strikes are ludicrous and there's a lot to talk about inflation today and if you start building in so there's something called core inflation which isn't about food prices and isn't about energy price because food and energy prices fluctuate but when you start building in big pay rises for everyone that makes that inflation more systemic and more endemic. And it means that it's not going to shift. So they really don't want to do all these pay rises. Already, we've seen inflation come down to 8.7%. Now, that doesn't mean prices are falling. We've talked about that trap before on this podcast. But the government want to break these strikes with what they would call reasonable and proportionate pay offers. And if the unions are going to continue to say no, then they're bringing in the minimum service strikes bill. So they're going to fight to undermine the strikes. And they're happy to go to the country and say, 
these negotiations are ongoing or these strikes are unreasonable and we are putting you, the normal person, the, I don't think people use the term man on the Clapham omnibus anymore, but that used to be the phrase. We're putting you front and centre, the hard-working alarm clock Britain is, uh, was an Ed Miliband phrase, I think. Is it? <laughs> we're putting you front and centre. We're battling the extremist unions and we're putting you front and centre to make sure that your lives can carry on pretty much as normal while this all happens. So no, I don't think there's a massive hunger for them to sort it out in the run-up to the election. I think that, that we've seen their stance already. Fair play. My fear has been rebuked. Diane, what was the second most popular post this week? Okay, second most popular post. Now, you might remember back in 2021, tampon tax was abolished. It was a big thing. The campaign to abolish it, run by Laura Corriton, had been going on for several years. She started off as a student, really taking on the fact that period products were classed as luxury items, which means VAT could be applied to them, which seemed ludicrous. So Laura took that on as a student, worked really, really hard for a number of years, and eventually, you know, got that really brought to front and centre of Parliament. David Cameron talked about it for a bit, but it wasn't until January 2021 when that came through and it was abolished. But since then, she has been keeping tabs on what has been happening because obviously it was a massive campaign. And let's just give it some stats because these have been in the papers this week. So own brand tampons have gone up since the abolishment of the tampon tax, they've gone up. They've gone up 27% in some cases, which is way more than inflation. So they're outpacing inflation with how much they're going up. It doesn't seem like the supermarkets have passed on this cut or this saving. And an MP called Ruth Cadbury, who's a Labour MP, submitted a written question last week on it. And the Treasury have said they're going to look into this. They're going to look in and make sure, because their intention was that this saving went to people. And it doesn't seem like it has. It seems like the supermarkets are still holding on to this, which isn't fair. So she's campaigning again to basically say, come on, supermarkets, show us that you are passing this on. Is the profiteering at the supermarket level or is it even the tampon manufacturer's level? That's a really tricky one. It's hard to say, isn't it? I would, well, I'd imagine it's the supermarket level because supermarkets one that paid VAT on it. There's no VAT in the supply chain. Yeah, good point. I mean, it's difficult to say profiteering and I suppose it is profiteering, but these are businesses and businesses exist to profiteer. I mean, profiteer is a negative word and we like shops and shops are there to make money. They are businesses. That's, that's why they exist. This is really, really difficult because of course, when that money came off, the money should have come off because the whole point is to prevent period poverty because period poverty is rubbish. But how... We don't have a system in this country of controlling prices. So we can't tell. We were talking about Tesco last week, so we shouldn't mention them because we don't want to kind of prioritise one over another. So let's say Morrison's. <laughs> we can't tell Morrison's how much to charge for tampons. We have to highlight it and campaigning. And Laura Coyton does, is a heck of a campaigner. We have to encourage them to pass that saving on. 
that we cannot tell them what to do. We cannot tell them how much it should cost. And even that's what the Treasury is going to come up with, isn't it? Because they can look into it for sure, but they can put constraints on this. So they're going to have to just call them out. They're going to have to call them out and hope that they do the right thing. And actually, the, the, the other thing about businesses is that they are very much at the whim of the public. They have to look good because there's so much competition in the supermarket industry. If one of them, if just one of them, you know, supermarket or pharmacist, if, you know, Lloyd's pharmacist said, right, do you know what? Fair. We should have put the price down and it cuts it. That's a huge PR boost. And maybe people go to Lloyd's, not Boots. Maybe people go to the co-op, not whoever else isn't doing it. This is because PR really matters to these businesses because it's incredibly tight marketplace, I suppose. It's the concept of the lost leader, right, isn't it, with things like milk. And I would have thought that this isn't a place where you want to try and get your profits or get more money from it. You just want to make sure that people come through your doors and buy the other stuff. Leading into something slightly different about inflation today, there was talk about when inflation's slowing down, food prices are still going up very quickly. And the term I heard on the radio this morning was reintroducing profits because prices had been so tight, the supermarkets hadn't been making any money on things because when they're going up so fast, you can't pass all of that on to the consumer. Whereas now, things might be calming down a little bit. The supermarkets are putting their margins back in, which continues to push the price up. So that's one reason we won't see prices slowing down because they're now going, right, you've had your time. We've got shareholders to pay. So come on now. <laughs> We've got wages to pay, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got wages to pay. They're, they're businesses and they need to be profitable. That's how, how we roll in uh, the UK. But if any supermarket does want to take the helm on the PR boost that they may get from reducing the VAT on the uh, essential uh, products, then please feel free to do so. And I'm sure Laura will appreciate your efforts. What was the most popular post this week? The most popular post this week is my favourite kind of post. It's what happens when I am sitting down on a Saturday morning with a cup of coffee and the newspaper and I find something fun and interesting and I run to the computer and <laughs> steal their story. And this one was just on Sunday last week. The Conservatives have been in government longer than New Labour were in government. I mean, it was, was 7,000 days or something. 13 years and a week is how long Blair and Brown's New Labour lasted. And the Conservatives have now been in power for 13 years, a week and a few days, depending on when you're listening. And I enjoyed writing the post because I got to say that Labour had two prime ministers while the Conservatives had gone for a more varied approach with five. And that made me chuckle. It was Saturday morning. I was a bit bored. So um, that's what I wrote. And it's just really, I mean, it's really interesting because we look at what Labour achieved, we look at what Conservatives achieved, we look at, it, it, it invites lots of comparisons. Unfortunately, the comments section on this didn't invite many comparisons. It just invited a lot of abuse about everybody. The comments section didn't fill me with joy, except for the people who laughed at my varied approach joke. That did fill me with joy. So if that was you, thank you very much. I think what this post made me feel was very old. I thought, <laughs> wow, you know, when you add up all those prime ministers and governments that you've seen in your lifetime, blimey, yeah. Teaching and seeing someone with a uh, textbook with Blair on the front and going, oh, you're not doing my politics class. And they're like, no, this is history. Ah. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh dear. That was the last election 
before I could vote officially as a as an adult. And it was one that probably had the most impact on my life. Going into university, one of the first things, noticeable things I did was to introduce the student uh, loan system, at which time I was purely gutted. I can see why they did it, but I was still like, ah. Oh. You were just down to your last, last trip to the Alps, weren't you? It was tough times. <laughs> tough times there, Cubs. <laughs> Anyway, let's go into the mailbag. Has my mum written in? <laughs> I think she's had a week off this week, Tam, but she will be back. I hear she will be back. I- I'm sure she'll be back. <laughs> but we had a really interesting question this week from Philip, who follows us on Instagram. Philip with an F. I think it's worth pointing think, out. Yeah, just Philip. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, Philip, nice to meet you, Philip. I Cheers. like an unusual spelling. He wants to know if in a kind of quick far way we can explain what the most popular political parties stand for. Can we give them almost like a a headline, a little elevator pitch? Can we do something that says what each one stands for? Do you think you're up to that? No. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you what the parties stand for because each party, what we have in the UK is we have some kind of, because of our electoral system, we have a few major broad church parties, which means that people believe very different things within the umbrella of a political party. I mean, the the most famous and broadest of all parties is in America, where they've got two, basically two, the Republicans and the Democrats. And and there's a huge spectrum within that. Like the Democrat Party in America is basically everyone in the UK. The whole of UK politics, except for the very far furthest right people like Nigel Farage, but the whole of UK politics effectively fits within the Democrat Party. That's how wide their party is. In the UK, they're slightly narrower, but I can't tell you what the Conservative Party stands for because I could only tell you who or maybe the current government stand for or parts of, but we can talk about ideologies. And ideologies do fit vaguely within party lines. I mean, I, I would say this is a big topic and my whole first book is about this stuff. What's that book? So if you'd really like to learn more and pass away some happy hours in the park with a book, the book's called We're Living Through the Breakdown and here's what you can do about it. It's available on spstuff.co.uk or just click on the link on our bio on Instagram. Philip, I know you're on our Instagram already. You can buy the book there. But how do you want to do this? Uh, let's talk ideologies. Yeah. Let's go in um, alphabetical order. Let's include, it did say England. Uh, let's include SMP there. Let's do the SMP first. SMP, quick and easy. They believe in independence. They're really struggling at the moment because that's mostly all they can agree on because they've got such a broad church, right? That, yeah. But it's just <laughs> people coming together. There's a split for a party called ALBA who believe a slightly different form of independence, think it's like to the left, I'm not sure about that. So SNP just want independence and they can sort the rest out around it. This is like the referendum party that existed in the late 90s, just wanted to vote on EU specifically. And then after that, they're almost going to implode and say, well, there you go, back to you guys. <laughs> yeah. Although SNP, I'm, I'm sure they'd want to continue after the split. Okay, conservatives. Well, conservatism with a small c... Not, so not the whole Conservative Party, but Conservatism is, predictably enough, quite a widely held ideology within the party. It's about, we're a good country. We do good things. We're nice people. Most stuff mostly works most of the time. So we need to make any changes, like, 
quite slowly and quite subtly so we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Okay, we just need to make sure that it's easy and slowly and keeps everything going as it can. Of course, we've got real problems. Of course we have, and we need to fix them. But let's let's be moderate here. And let's use what's good. Let's use our traditions and let's use our culture. Look at the things we've done as a country. We're the, we're the country of Shakespeare. We're the country of Coldplay. This is, this is... <laughs> You could have gone to the Beatles. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, but yellow, right? That's that's the peak. That's the peak of that our the of, of British <laughs> achievement. <laughs> yellow. What a song. And it was all yellow. yellow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so no, but 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 it's about so so that those things they show us where we are and they give us identity and they help us and we just got to help people have the opportunity to achieve everything they can achieve their potential that's all done through the prism of the past looking to the future i was still going up first order labor i was like which one comes first li or lb lib uh labor party well i mean the labor party are okay i'm not going to talk labor into about socialism labor are specifically not a socialist parties so that might that might be confusing but the socialists say hang on a minute conservatives you look around and say this is a good country what is good like we have inequality we have unfairness we have trains that don't run we have hospitals that blah 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 we need radical change and rather than kind of tinkering at the sides we need to rip it up with fairness at its heart the conservatism don't don't believe in fairness they believe in everyone doing okay and if the poorest people in the country are doing okay it doesn't matter if the richest people are really, really rich. That makes no difference. It's not about equality. Equality is irrelevant as long as everyone's okay. But as Social said, that's completely outrageous. Fairness has to be at the heart of everything. And we're going to change the way things are done. We're going to tax more. We're going to have more public services. In fact, if you get to real, like really far down this road, you tax everything. There's hardly any private possession. Like we just, we work for the common good. So nurses have a great lifestyle, as do refuse collectors, because that's not a fun job, as do people who sit around on the internet explaining politics on Instagram. Like we all work for the good of society and that works for everyone. So now, liberals. So liberal Democrats believe in liberalism, mostly. Liberalism, it's basically all about, it's freedom. You are free to do what you want to do as long as it's legal. And that means that you can go to work and get paid and you spend the money. The liberal Democrats have been on something of a journey because they used to, because there's different types of liberalism because there's freedom to do something and freedom from something. Freedom from something means no one's going to tell me off. But if you're born in an area with rubbish housing and rubbish schools, you're not free to then get the job you want and spend the money because you're not going to have as good grades and you're not going to get the job. And if, you, if the hospitals are terrible, then you're not, you're not free to be well. You're not free to do those things. So freedom to requires a lot more tax to pay for these things than freedom from. And the idea of freedom from is that there's almost no tax, is that it's your choice if you want to help do a charity work, you help with charity work. If you don't, then then you don't. All that stuff. They used to be very much be freedom too. And then Nick Clegg kind of shifted the Liberal Democrats over to be more free from, but more business focused. And that's what allowed them to form the coalition government 
with the Conservatives, which a lot of people were quite surprised by because they still had the kind of older Paddy Ashdown idea of Liberal Democrats in their minds. And then now they've kind of shifted back again to be more freedom to, they've certainly positioned themselves to the left of the Conservative Party. And all the talk about a coalition, if we have one next year, is between a Liberal Democrat and a Labour parties, which again shows that the Labour Party are also quite business friendly and not quite as socialist, or certainly as they were a couple of years ago. Okay, well, let's head over to the third part of the podcast. As tradition, it's the, what is the PM? Hold on, have I read this right? Have your spies been trained on Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer, this week? What's going on here? Rishi Sunak's been out the country and we can't afford to pay our spies to travel. Sure. By the time you hear this, we will have had the immigration figures and that's going to cause a lot of fuss. But as we head into uh, recess, it's been a little bit quiet. But Keir Starmer's been out making... Big, a big, big speech that's going to be referred back to a lot before the next general election. So we thought we'd focus on that this week. So it's Starmer Watch rather than Sunak Watch. And the good news is we don't have to change the initial on the watch. It saves everybody <laughs> a few pence and some time. Okay, so what have we got? What have we found? What have the spies dug up? What happened was he came out to get a speech on the NHS. And in January, he talked about his missions and Labour's missions, which is about growth and being clean and justice system and teaching kids to read good and the NHS. And this week was the NHS. And it's interesting because the NHS is a, is the place where Labour always outpoll the Conservatives. So Starmer really wants to outpoll Sunak on the economy, but the Conservatives always outpoll, except possibly during, you know, the quasi Quarteng's brief tenure. <laughs> what, so for, like, for those 39, yes. 40 yes. days? <laughs> so doing better than the, the Conservatives on the economy is tough. But doing better than conservatives in the health service, yeah, that's I mean that's that that's that that's on. So here he is making a speech, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but uh, I've got a book coming out in September called <laughs> no. Politics But Better. And one of the things to talk about, and I know well, yeah, it, available to pre-order in all but good bookshop websites now. <laughs> it made me so cross this speech because he's got some really clear things he wanted to say about the health service, and he wants to. I'll go on to what, what, what they are in a second, but. It was about a 45-minute speech, Diane, maybe? Half it an hour, 45 minutes? longer. Yes, yes, about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he spent about half of it saying how bad the Tories are. It's like, this is your chance to sell us something. This is your chance to make us stand up and go, that's the NHS I want. Let me give you my vote. And, and this isn't just him. Nobody can do it. Nobody can just pitch their own ideas and give us some hope, give us a vision of the future. Yeah, even this, he wasn't in the Commons. There was no one, there was no Conservative stood anywhere near him. But he felt the need to say, he brought up the fact that Conservatives voted against the NHS coming to existence. Oh yeah, way back. In the 40s or 50s, whatever it was. They did. There was, without a shadow of doubt, they did that. They said, this isn't the right thing to do. And it was the right thing to do. But 
that has no bearing whatsoever on this Conservative Party. No, because we're literally coming up to the 75-year anniversary of the NHS. You know, that's that's how long ago we're talking. Multiple generations ago. Even if it was the same person, even if it was, even if Rishi Sunak himself was 77 and he voted against it when he was two, right? Even if it was the same person, move on. Just share what you've got. Anyway, what he did have was uh, was lots of big things. He um, he wants to focus on the three things that are killing people the most. Yeah, heart and strokes, catching cancer quicker, and death by suicide. And and I mean, obviously, for me, for me, death by suicide is a big one. I have mental health, my mental health, all that stuff. I'm not going to go into it now, but. Really interesting, really clear focus, focusing on the things that they do worse and making them better. That's got to be good politics. He did a lot of describing why they were bad and was quite light on how he's going to make them better. But there was intent. That seems like a really nice way to reform the NHS is to to hone in on these things. The suicide element is so difficult because they talk about parity between mental health and physical health, but that doesn't exist. That can't... It's not like mental health is not like physical health. You can't just say that they mean the same thing and, and, and somehow make it so. He talked some good game on those things. And I think the approach is reasonable. As we get towards the election, I'm going to hope for a lot of detail because that's what we want when, when it comes to all of us casting our votes. And a lot of people will cast their votes solely on the basis of the NHS. The NHS matters so much. It's a big part of what the Brexit vote was declared upon, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, absolutely. on the side of the bus. Is that, is that big and emotive subject that they put it on the side of the bus? People will vote along the NHS. We've got a marker being laid down by Keir Starmer this week. And yeah, I think it's interesting to see where it goes. What did you think, Diane? Yeah, it's all really, really interesting. In questions at the end, he was asked specifically to talk around staffing and pay and and he chose not to go into that that was a big thing that came out in the comments so his list of things i think everyone thought spot on really good things to go at brilliant you need the staff to deliver that that's a massive factor as we see we're we're going through a lot of nhs strike action at the moment so yeah huge so the detail yeah let's hope it comes and that retention's the key we can there's a lot of talk about training and I mean, th- 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 with this migration thing, there's a lot of talk about Labour saying that they would have key areas that you're allowed to come into our country if you are in a shortage skill thing. But they would link that to training placements to make sure that we're then training our own people so that in future years that can come off that list. Right. That's one way of that Labour are talking about solving immigration levels over the long term. Better than training is retention. Because then you get more experienced staff much quicker. Uh, so yeah, retention is going to be key if either party are going to really make a difference here. It's good to see Sir Keir Starmer has been the focus of this podcast this week. We'll see if we go back to Rishi next week, but let's go to the crystal ball to determine if that will be the case. Diane, what is your crystal ball? I'm not getting a very strong reading for next week. <laughs> It's a bit hazy. <laughs> I might need to cross my palm with a bit more silver. We're heading into a recess, so Parliament itself won't be on, but MPs will still be very busy with casework and constituents. And what that means for news and the news cycle and what's happening, I don't know yet. 
<laughs> well, we'll see, I guess. Tatton, do you have anything uh, equally enlightening? Just a lot of cricket. Like a lot, a lot of cricket. There's going to be some batting. There's going to be some bowling, some fielding, maybe, probably. Not for Kent. We'll just let it go past. All that kind of thing. Well, that's good to hear. But also, one thing before we leave, guys, is to make sure to go to SP Stuff and buy all the books. Politics for Better is available to pre-order now and all the good places harbour bookstore being one of the primary ones because you get a signed copy from tatton sent straight to your door when it unveiled to the public officially in september what you need to know lovely listener is that it's going to change your life that book so make sure you order it like now the earlier you order it the more time you get to be excited before it arrives if you hang around if you don't even order it like till the week before that's what seven days of excitement pa now you can have oh like two months three months of excitement so and money can't buy that so that's exciting i do find quite exciting in those times when i've ordered something on pre-order or i've just completely forgotten it because for whatever reasons and then the parcel just arrives delivery person arrives i'm like i don't know what this is (laughs) and then ta-da you guys could have that same experience with uh, politics but better delayed gratification we don't get enough of it these days absolutely (laughs) thank you very much guys it's been a pleasure to see you guys thank you very much dear listener for listening tell your friends tell your enemies tell your teachers tell everyone thank you very much just heard a stripped media production. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.